So my mother is a very neat woman, very tidy. She keeps a clean house. And several years ago, I remember my brother-in-law, TJ, had come in after working out. He was a little sweaty. And we were sit- some of us were sitting in the living room, and he came in, and he sat down politely on the carpet on the floor, just kind of sitting there. And my mom got up and came back into the room with a towel. She said, well, here, TJ, let's put this under there since you're sweaty. You know, she was on the rug. And some of us were going, really, you know, because right next to TJ was her dog, Amelia, sitting there, <laughs> you know, and, you know, sitting there, she licks herself and cleans herself and all those things on the rug. Well, it was, it was literally two days later, um, I find out from my sisters that my mom had to throw that rug out. And it was because Amelia, her dog, had brought in the body of a dead possum and chewed on it on that rug. So the rug she was trying to preserve so well to take diligent effort, I mean, it, it just got ruined, you know? Um, in, in our gospel passage, the Pharisees are incredulous about Jesus and his disciples and how they aren't obeying this ritual washing before eating. And they're coming and they're, they're accusing Jesus of not upholding God's law. And, of course, this is about more than cleanliness, but I do find cl- clean and unclean, defiled and undefiled, it is a theme that runs in Scripture. Um, the Pharisees weren't making baseless claims to this idea that there were purity laws of the Old Testament um, that they were seeking to adhere to, but they were upping the ante on. But being clean was a very important thing to those authorities and teachers of the law. And that's part of what they found uh, disturbing about Jesus' ministry. Of course, we know Jesus, he spent time with people that were deemed unclean by society. Those on the fringes, uh, those, those that didn't have great reputations, right? And I find the psychology interesting, even in the church, of how we determine what, what is to us clean and acceptable and what is unclean and unacceptable. What, what makes us feel acceptable and then what makes us feel ashamed. And a man named Richard Beck wrote a book a few years ago called Unclean. And it was meditations on these matters. And, and he talked about how um, as Americans we devote ourselves to expunging from our lives every appearance, every imitation of death, any trace of weakness or debility or ugliness or helplessness. This is something we can observe easily on social media, isn't it? People don't tend to put their worst foot forward. <laughs> they tend to you know, take pride in what's going on in their lives, and rightly so. They're, they're proud or excited or hopeful about things, and they're posting those things. But that usually gives us a more scrubbed image, doesn't it, of somebody's life. But Richard Beck, he goes on to comment about this. He says, because we're trying to prov- keep our lives sanitized, Consequentially, to protect this illusion that death and decay are not at work in our lives, we hide our eyes from the old, the sick, deformed, ugly, and needy. He says that disgust um, actually motivates us to avoid and push away any reminders of our own vulnerability, any reminders that perhaps our lives aren't as shiny and clean as we've sought, like my mom, to keep uh, from being soiled. However we approach this concept of being clean or unclean or um, 
defiled. The reality is, Jesus is pointing out, this is within us. This very reality is inside of us. It's, it's not what goes into us that makes us unclean. It's rather the things that come out of us, that come out of the center of our being. Out of my heart arises the filth and disgust that the Pharisees were accusing Jesus and his disciples in participating in. And so the Pharisees' approach, it was, very, it was a very reductionistic and legalistic way of trying to keep God's commands. They were trying to exert control over life, perhaps in ways that, uh, that didn't always work out so well. And it's just like my mom trying to protect the carpet, right? Um, all of her best efforts couldn't keep that dog from bringing a possum in and chewing on it on the carpet. And right here in front of these authorities and scribes, is someone who is bringing something new. All of Israel and Judea has been astir over the teachings and workings of miracles of this this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is pointing out that those moral laws, those purity laws that these um, religious people were seeking to keep, they were pointing to a deeper reality that he was bringing greater weight to actually what they meant. Consider the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus isn't abolishing God's law. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount makes God's law even tougher to stomach. He says, you have heard it said, do not murder. And Jesus says, but I say to you, if you hate your brother or sister in your heart, you have committed murder. You've heard it said that you ought not to commit adultery. But then he says, but I say, Anyone who has looked at another person with lust in their heart has already committed adultery. He brings the external laws of God into the internal reality of showing the sinful and fallen nature that we have all inherited. And so the irony is that these Pharisees and teachers of the law, while trying to uphold God's law, they're actually, um, the, that same sense becomes the, imp- the thing that imprisons them. They can't see beyond it because they have these blinders. They can't see who Jesus is because they're caught up in what it means to wash your hands in a ritual fashion. Uh, It reminds me of uh, my own efforts in my life. I I can relate to that uh, character from the National Lampoon movies, uh, Christmas Vacation, Family Vacation. Um, You know, Chevy Chase plays Clark Griswold. And Clark is this you know, good-hearted Midwestern guy, and he just wants his family to have a great time together. He's trying to create memories and bonding. He wants his children to have a rich experience together. He wants such good things. And you see his frustration and his anger come out in these movies as things don't go as planned. And that's life. That's my life. And I bet it's your life, too. What is inside of us, the, the desire for more, the desire for things, often gets twisted and corrupted into this selfish uh, motive and desire of making things happen. John Calvin, the theologian, he called the human heart an idle factory. We're constantly producing in ourselves, we're, 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 idolat- we're, create- we're committing idolatry all over the place, even with good things. Even your family can become an idol that you're putting before God. Even your, your work or your vocation, your friendships, your reputation, 
The things that are of most importance to you sometimes can take God's place. That's why Jesus is saying the things outside aren't what defile us. It's actually the things inside. And it's pointing to the reality of what we need. We are in a desperate, desperate position. Because righteousness before God isn't determined by external action. Determined by our own need of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And so the mark of Jesus' own ministry, um, hanging out with the unclean, the socially unacceptable, um, it shows the Pharisees, in contrast, as being blind to their own need, that they inwardly were not pure. Even if they had committed all the ritualistic acts to cleanse their hands, they had followed the letter of the law to the T, and yet they'd missed the point that it was about inward cleansing. It was about character. It was about how you see God in yourself and others. I went on a mission trip to Haiti when I was in college, and we did the typical mission trip thing where we were building a house and a, or a school and a church, and we were working with concrete a couple of the days doing a roof, and so we laid down the rebar, and I was on the ladder, and we were just passing buckets of cement up, and we, we didn't have enough gloves for some reason. We were unprepared, and I didn't have any gloves on. Well, you can imagine after two days of just hauling buckets of cement up, the, you know, the grit from the concrete was all over the handles. I mean, it tore my hands up. You know, I mean, I was, I was in bad shape. And we were getting ready to leave the village, and I had just open sores. Like, the skin was just off of my palms and my fingers. It was, it was gross to look at, you know what I mean? And it hurt. And the pastor from the village was just thanking us for all the work we'd done. And he was coming and hugging us and shaking our hands. And I had this thought, well, the HIV AIDS rate in Haiti is quite high. What if I, you know, what if shaking his hand something accidentally, what if I get infected? Well, years later, looking back on that incident, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with shame. I was the defiled one in the scenario, and I couldn't see it. I was only concerned about what could happen to me. I was the one with no skin on my hands. I bet that pastor didn't want to touch me. But that thought never entered my mind, because I didn't think I was the problem. Out of my own heart comes such (laughs) self-righteousness, such judgmentalism, just like the Pharisees just as Jesus is pointing out to us. The Pharisees are pointing out to Jesus, you think you're above the law. And Jesus' response is quoting Scripture, as he often does. Well, Isaiah prophesied about you guys. He called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is a stage actor, someone who wears a mask on stage, who's pretending to be something they're not. And he uses that passage from Isaiah to show them that your mouths may be saying the words, but your hearts, they're so far from loving God. It's like the story of the prodigal sons from Luke 15. A man had two sons, and one son said, I want my inheritance now, wishing his father was dead so he could take the inheritance. And he goes and he squanders it, and he comes back, and the father welcomes him and throws this lavish party you have the older brother who becomes incredulous 
How dare you, Father, throw this party for this son of yours that has wasted everything. He wanted you dead, and I've worked hard. I've bided my time. I've done everything right. It's as though Isaiah through Jesus, Jesus through Isaiah here, and that story of the prodigal son is telling us from God's own mouth, you might do what I say, but you don't really want me. You just want the things that I can give you. Here's the good news, friends. All of us are in the same boat. But Jesus Christ is both God and man. And He lived a ritually pure and holy life inwardly and outwardly. He fulfilled everything that we were originally created to be in order to restore our humanity. And yet he who was most clean and most pure, most lovely, he was treated as unclean. He was crucified, taken outside the, the camp as though on a garbage heap, and he was crucified on a wooden cross. So that, as the author of Hebrews tells us, we could draw near to God in full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's the atonement of Jesus. His, his becoming bloodied with blasphemy, with nakedness, His God-forsakenness, His taking on death and even sin itself on our behalf that makes us clean. That's the only thing that makes us clean, not our outward projections of ourselves, not all of our efforts to you know, go around, scurry around and try to clean everything up. It's Jesus. He cleanses our hearts and sprinkles them with His blood. It's good news. It's not up to you. God has done it for you. Yeah, I look at my life and my world, and so much is unclean and defiled. So much, it seems unholy and even subject to decay and death. The gospel, this good news of Jesus, it does cleanse your heart and brings you into right relationship with Him. But you're, as Luther would say, you are simultaneously a sinner and a saint. You are a saint because you are cleansed by Jesus' blood. You are fully forgiven. But it's okay that you carry around in yourself the same problem that you entered into the relationship with God with. You're still a sinner. You're still unclean. But know that you're made clean by Jesus Christ. Glory be to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.